Welcome to Beyond the Page, a podcast from People's World. I'm Matt Bernico. And I'm Chauncey K. Robinson. Beyond the Page is the podcast companion to People's World. Beyond the Page brings you in-depth interviews with journalists and activists on the most pressing stories on progressive politics, labor, and the struggle for socialism in the United States. With the election just days away, we're focusing in on stories that help us get a handle on what this electoral struggle looks like and just who's fighting it. To do that, this week we're bringing you stories from John Wojcik about the coalition leading the fight against Donald Trump, and then we have a segment about the importance of electoral work and labor struggle in the fight against capitalism with Roberta Wood. Now we're joined by John Wojcik, the editor-in-chief of People's World and executive board member of the International Labor Communications Association. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, recently you wrote a really great article in People's World called Labor, Its Allies, and the Courts Fight to Stop Trump. So in your recent article, you explain the, you know, all-out assault against Trump leading up to the election, which is good, (laughs) a good thing to note. Um, Can you just like lay it all out for us here? Um, You know, how are people fighting back against Trump in this pre-election time? Uh, What does that battleground look look like? Well, it's really an unprecedented uh, battleground because it involves all segments of the society more than any other election uh, in, in my lifetime and, uh, and, and in recent history, uh, this election really constitutes a mass movement of people uh, to the polls and to make a, a solid rejection of this extreme right wing uh, ideology and, and program put forward by, by, by Trump. There are so many signs that this is an unprecedented mass movement. It's it's more than any ordinary election. Uh, Just look at the incredible turnout, early voting. Many millions of people uh, have been standing online uh, and and doing just an incredible job of exercising their right to vote in the face of uh, voter suppression. Uh, People are doing everything to, to, to get in there and get their vote registered. Uh, I've seen uh, relays online, you know, people relieving people standing online so they could run and take a bathroom break, people with chairs, distributing snacks, things that enable people to spend hours on online. It's a horrible thing because it's a sign of, of, of successful voter suppression that anyone should have to wait hours to vote. But the fact that so many millions are are doing it, have been doing it for the last few weeks, we already see uh, that the, uh, the the early vote is probably going to be larger than the election day vote uh, when we count the so many millions that have, have come out uh, to do it. Uh, and you see such a variety of, uh, last night at a, at a People's World Town Hall, we had an activist leader in the Democratic Party in Montana talk about the unprecedented voter registration and voter mobilization drive that they're doing on the Indian reservations. Uh, it's very possible that a Republican senator could be overthrown in Montana uh, because of uh, the Native American vote alone. That has never happened in, in, in U.S. history, and it's a real possibility in one of the so-called red states, a very red state like Montana. Uh, the labor movement is out there in force, both with boots on the ground in places where that can be done safely, but also it is pouring in advertisements. 
uh, ads on TV, radio in particular, spending money in, in key battleground states, uh, uniting with uh, civil rights and African-American organizations to put progressive candidates over the top. We've got uh, the, the mass movements themselves, whether it's the Poor People's Campaign or Black Lives Matter or uh, women's rights organizations, LGBTQ organizations, all out there uh, mobilizing members, getting the word out on the internet, uh, organizing uh, press conferences and publicity events, uh, car caravans, uh, drive-in rallies, uh, all of these movements are involved in, in this. Uh, political activists who, who for a long time have participated in Democratic Party politics, including people who supported uh, progressive candidates like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they are fully on board with this, uh, with, with this campaign, even though uh, Joe Biden may not have been their original uh, choice. Uh, Joe Biden himself, in response to all of these movements, has adopted a platform, a very progressive labor platform, a very good platform on, <clears throat> on the uh, ecology and the climate crisis and on, uh, on, on a number of, uh, of other issues. Um, uh, workers at, at companies and in institutions are, are on the move. Uh, the the, the African-American woman who delivers mail in my neighborhood, for example, I live in a high-rise apartment building, uh, you know, rings all the bells when she gets here with the building's mail and, and people come downstairs and she distributes their, the, the medicines and things that were delayed by the, by the DeJoy attempt to, uh, you know, sabotage the post office. Uh, and, and she talks about how her, her fellow employees, fellow workers at the post office are doing everything possible to, to get around those delay measures that the Trump administration tried to hamper uh, mail registration at the post office with. Uh, in all of the key states, we see activities uh, by, uh, by uh, lawmakers, by progressive lawmakers. We have, uh, for the first time, Domestic Workers Alliance and organizations, workers organizations that represent uh, uh, workers who are at the low end of the wage scale uh, involved in, uh, in, in, in the election. We have the Sunrise Movement, people who, uh, who uh, pushed for the Green New Deal. Uh, you know, it was only months ago that they were demonstrating in Pelosi's office to try to get her to come on board with, with some of their program. Now they are involved in the election too, all over the, uh, all over the country wherever they have the opportunity to, to organize. So, so what we have, what we see really is a, uh, a mass movement to the polls in this ongoing election process. Uh, it's not just people who are registered Democrats, registered Republicans going to express their choice. You have really an uprising in all sectors that are negatively affected by the right-wing politics of the Trump administration. And that whole uh, broad coalition is really uh, a mass movement heading into the polls to hopefully uh, displace this uh, administration, get them, clear them out of the White House and 
clear the, uh, the Republicans uh, uh, out of their controlling positions in the U.S. Senate. Great. Yeah, it sounds like people are really mobilizing. And, um, you know, many commentators paint Trump as a type of populist. But in your articles, you note all of these instances where Trump continuously shows up for corporate interests over the interests of regular people or even his base. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, actually, what's going on there is nothing new. Historically, in this country, but also around the world, extreme right-wing movements portray themselves as populists. They're not able <clears throat> to get over. Uh, they're certainly not going to come out and campaign and say, hey, vote for us. We will uh, back the big corporations. We're going to give them tax breaks. We're going to put them in control. Uh, right-wing movements always parade, mask themselves as populists. And they they try to latch onto uh, onto issues that 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 the working class majority supports. A good example, probably of course one of the biggest examples in the last century, were the the fascists, the Nazis in Germany. Even the way they named their party, the uh, the uh, they called it uh, a National Socialist Party because they wanted to appeal to the broad support there was among workers in Germany at that time for socialism. Uh, you know, I find it interesting in just before Hitler took over, there was a massive rent strike in Berlin supported by the left political parties, particularly the social Democrats, the communists, others. Well, the Nazis quickly joined that and they hung banners out over the balconies of the apartments where they, uh, with swastikas, identifying themselves as fighting for the tenants. Uh, They have done this kind of thing. The right wing does this kind of thing uh, frequently. It it has, they they pose as opponents to institutions. They know that people are angry. They know that, that, that people feel cheated, working class people feel cheated. So they try to say that, they try to tell people uh, that they are against the enemies that have supposedly suppressed those people. So they come out against the establishment media, for example. They come out against big government, for example, against the deep state, when they're really coming out uh, against nothing. They're coming, they're opposing, the opposition to to the deep state, for example, is one of the best examples of how they do this. Uh, they portray the government as the enemy. It's not the people who have taken over the government. It's not the big corporations that fund elected uh, leaders who are the problem. It is the uh, who got helped get them elected. But the problem is the is the institution of government itself. Government, of course, uh, can be an instrument that works for the working people. It, if if the if the working people are able to exercise control over it, but uh, but the right wing makes makes it poses itself as a champion of the people. That's how they got elected. Trump got a lot of votes because he did that in 2016. Of course, now that people have seen four years of him, uh, they're finding it more and more difficult. The other problem too is that uh, the non-fascists progressive forces 
have to make sure uh, the right wing to come in and fill that space and pose as a uh, a populist alternative, which it is not. And so now we're beginning to see more and more of that. Everybody who all of the political forces that are outside of that right wing apparatus are pretty much uniting now and and around uh, the Biden Harris uh, ticket. And, uh, you know, the movements that they are all a part of are, are making it clearer and clearer that, that Trump is not really uh, the populist that he poses to be. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's a helpful, uh, it's all a helpful picture of, you know, the tropes that are kind of cropping up again from uh, the right and also the way that the left is um, building a pretty broad coalition against the, you know, the right wing forces. Um, you know, it makes me think of this. Uh, sort of a something dumb actually there's a meme on twitter <laughs> where people uh people will sometimes post you know people who are center center left people or just centrists you know say something like uh if hillary clinton would have won in uh 2016 you know we'd all be at brunch right now and <laughs> you know it's something that's actually pretty dystopian to, <laughs> to take but I, I it makes me wonder right like this this broad coalition that you've just described um you know facing off against these incredibly awful right-wing forces do you think after the election, you know, will that coalition carry any energy forward? Or do you think, uh, like this weird meme says, you know, we'll all just go back to brunch? What do you think will happen, John? Well, I think, again, I don't have a crystal ball. But I do think what has to happen is that coalition has to stay together and it has to broaden, regardless of what happens uh, uh, on election day. Uh, those forces need to be at the top of their game. Because if we succeed in defeating Trump, uh, which I believe we will be doing, uh, I, I, think, I think that th these movements uh, will then play a major role in two ways. One is that they will be able, if, they're, if they maintain their unity, they will be able to help shape the agenda going forward. But also, what we have to remember is that if uh, you know if if Trump loses and, and and Biden wins the election, the right wing is not going to uh, go to sleep. They're going to step up their efforts even more. Well, that's one of the reasons they're fighting uh, on the Supreme Court issue. They want to maintain their power. You saw what happened after Obama was elected with the Tea Party. So there are going to be tremendous right-wing efforts mounted. I would predict that they will try to look like populists, rising up against big government, uh, forcing health care on the people. It, it sounds ridiculous, but that's actually what they're, they're trying to get people to believe that, uh, you know, health care for all is an imposition by big government. That's, we, we can expect to see that kind of thing, uh, a right-wing uprising. So the coalition will have to stay together to, to fight that off. And then the third thing that coalition will have to do is make sure that the, the, you know, that the Democrats who won the election, that there's pressure from down below uh, to, uh, to, to put forward a progressive agenda. You know, when Harold Washington, the first African-American mayor of, of Chicago was elected years ago, and progressive organizations, tenant organizations, unions, others came into his office to argue for their program. He would say, okay, fine, I agree, but go out and make me do it. 
In other words, you know, you can't leave uh, even a progressive elected official hanging out at the end of a tree branch there uh, on their own. There has to be a, a base below them. Uh, but just in terms of this election, I think there's another thing developing, which is both dangerous and hopeful. Uh, but uh, dangerous because we had this weekend Trump saying that uh, the Trump administration uh, saying that they're really not going to control the virus. It's not controllable. It's like the flu. It's a disease that we can't do anything about. And uh, that admission really is an incredible admission, especially since it comes now uh, at the beginning of what appears to be a dark winter. Uh, you know, people have spoken, people in the health profession and Biden himself have talked about how we're entering now a dark winter of this uh, with this coronavirus uh, research. And, uh, you know, this dark winter is a serious issue because many, many more people are now getting infected. The death rates are climbing. Uh, and I think that between now and Election Day, Almost anybody who goes to vote is going to have the coronavirus more on their mind, even than they did a week or two ago at the time of the of the debates, because what's happening is very frightening. Even in the reddest of red states like Idaho, uh, they're shipping people out of the state because they have no room for them in hospitals as the uh, as the casualties uh, rise and, and pick up. So I think that this is going to be a major factor in in uh, in bringing even more people out, and I think that uh, that hopefully this will uh, will result in in getting Trump out of the White House and those senators who refuse to pass the Heroes Act, the relief bill, uh, getting rid of them too. So you know anyone who votes between now and Election Day. Uh, is going to the polls as the dark winter descends on us. But the important thing to keep in mind is that spring follows winter. And we have it in our power, all of us, to uh, hasten the arrival of, of that spring. John, you said you didn't have a crystal ball, but that all sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate the good word and your reporting on this. Uh, I think it's really helpful to to help us all kind of uh, stay on top of the situation and, and get a, a good glimpse about what's happening. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the support for the people's world. So joining us next is Roberta Wood. Roberta is a People's World Senior Editor and founder of the Steelworkers Women's Caucus. Thanks for joining us, Roberta. Good morning. Yeah. So, Roberta, you've done a lot of articles getting firsthand accounts from workers doing collective actions on the job for better conditions. Do you think you can connect voting to collective action for workers as well? You know, like, what do you think the working class's attitude should be towards voting in this election year? And how do you respond to those who are, you know, more pessimistic towards the voting process and its importance? Well, Chauncey, you know, 2020 has really been a year when all kinds of workers or all kinds of people who work together in the same workplace um, have organized themselves with really a great sense of urgency. Um, I guess the pandemic is a life and death issue for 
you know, people who work in hospitals or meat plants, and people have felt sort of a combination of both terror and anger. Um, I went to a demonstration at the University of Illinois um, hospitals where um, they held up um, big portraits of the workers who died there, the nurses. Um, their lives could have been saved if they had been provided with uh, personal protective equipment, PPE. Um, in Detroit, um, 550 bus drivers walked off the job. Um, in South Dakota, uh, people who work in meat packing plants, you know, they work in refrigerators where, uh, with knives that are as sharp as razors, shoulder to shoulder. They're already in a dangerous condition, and they're demanding that they get 14 days off work, you know, paid leave so they can quarantine. Um, so these are the kind of workers um, I've, I've interviewed and come in contact with. I met a cook um, at Northwestern University here in Evanston, Illinois, where a group of them lay down on the sidewalk in front of the university in a what they called it a die-in. They told me it's BS to demand that people quarantine when you don't pay them the time they have to take off. They, a working person can't take 14 days off work without pay. Uh, Northwestern University is sitting on a $6 billion endowment. Why can't they at least allow the workers 14 days to quarantine when they're asked to do that? Um, in May, uh, workers in, uh, in Oakland and at McDonald's also walked off the job with the same kind of demands. So this is going on um, all over the place. And these kind of workplace actions have also overlapped with demands um, for doing away with structural racism. Um, you know, when, in workplaces, people don't just care, they care a lot about their wages and their health care, but they also care about what happens to, you know, what happens to the products of their labor. I was impressed to read that Facebook workers staged um, a virtual walkout in June um, when the company refused to take down Donald Trump's post that uh, were an incitement to violence. Uh, and uh, Adidas workers, um, they walked out of the national headquarters in Portland, Oregon, and demanding that the company invest in black communities, not just profit from them. And I thought one of the most interesting things was um, also in June, physicists and astronomers across the country had a campaign to halt science for a day. They canceled classes. Their journals went silent. Went silent. They wanted to study how to reverse the disrespect and marginalization of researchers of color in the labs and universities. So I think um, what we're seeing is now that this kind of collective action that reached a high point <clears throat> in the workplaces is moving into the um, political arena, because it's obvious that that's where some of these issues need to be addressed. So I think that the most urgent thing that I hear from workers wherever I talk to them is people need relief. They need expanded unemployment, um, supplemented unemployment, because most unemployment 
compensation is less than half of what you normally earn on the job. Nobody can pay their rent or feed their family on that. There's an emergency need to address undocumented workers who are getting no help at all. We need health care for the millions of people who've lost their jobs and had employer health care and don't get it, not to mention the others who didn't have it. And people need time off in a place to quarantine where it's necessary. Um, so I think these are some of the things that are moving people to the polls. They're things that people experience collectively and they're addressing them collectively. Thanks. That's a really helpful description of what's been going on lately in the labor movement and how people have been getting organized. It's really exciting to see it all starting to come together just, you know, over this last summer. Well, speaking of the uh, of the political arena and kind of you know moving into electoral politics, something you've written quite a bit about is the importance of voting Trump out of office. But I think a lot of people on the left express a lot of frustration about electoral politics, and some people aren't too excited about it, to say the very least. You know, uh, people on the left say things like uh, our political system is, a, you know, it's a duopoly. You either have the Democrats or Republicans, but in the end, they all support capitalism. And, you know, that's a, a fair assessment. But um, you've written quite a bit about this, and I wonder if you could give us a different way to think about that arrangement. How should people on the left think about voting? Well, actually, I think we're seeing a tremendous uh, wave of enthusiasm. That might have been the conversation earlier on this year, but I think... Um, the reality is that uh, people are taking collective action. You know, there's a way that um, corporate America um, likes for workers uh, to look at everything as individuals. They even like us to look at the surface of things. So um, it doesn't, you know, like, is my boss nice to me? Did he smile at me? Whatever. But um, you know what? It doesn't really matter if your boss is a nice guy or a mean guy, if he's cool or if he's not. Um, what matters is how much you get paid, if you have health care, if your company's able to move out, move your job out from under you. And um, I, I think that today workers and the working class is looking at candidates differently than in the past, not as individuals. They're not as much focused on somebody's personality or even their history. They're voting for a movement. In effect, I mean, they're really voting for themselves. Well, actually, we're voting for each other. And, you know, it's interesting. They used to talk about elections like, oh, you're going into the privacy of your voting booth and casting your individual ballot. I, I don't hear that anymore. Voting isn't really a private thing. It's more like a public expression. And you see this pride and determination in these long lines. People aren't complaining about the lines. I mean, they're getting into them. In fact, um, I saw a wonderful video of a young man in Philadelphia with a boombox leading a whole line of voters of every age in the Mississippi cha-cha slide. Um, so this is a, a different uh, way of looking at elections and political action. So um, in terms of the, um, the Democrat versus Republican issue, um, you know, I, or let's say um, whether we, uh, back up, let's see. Um, so there's two things I think we want to look at in political action. One is it's, it's not either or, like you're either going to take care of people now or you're going to move toward a better system in the future. 
you know, we have to feed people. We have to keep them in their homes. We have to make sure people have health care. Our class is our family, and we need to take care of each other. There's no um, brushing off the urgency, uh, the life and death issues that people are experiencing. There's no excuse for not caring and addressing those. Um, but I don't think that, that doing this um, interferes with the struggle for socialism, because what we're really doing isn't about a political party. It's about building a culture of solidarity, you know, undermining the profit first, the love of money um, ideology of capitalism. So I think it's important for us to always restate what socialism is. It, it's putting humanity, nature, our planet first, not profits. And remembering that it's the people, the working class that creates the wealth. And our goal is for us to own it together and decide, you know, how it will be used. So deciding how that's going to be used is not reduced to deciding uh, or electing some guy every four years. I think what we have is a much bigger task. Um, and it requires us, you know, the working class to form ourselves into a force that can do that. So I think that people who just argue that they're tired of voting for the Democrats or the Republicans, uh, inadvertently, they have a very uh, capitalist view of what political action is, because if they just see it as, as making this choice of personalities or individuals, they're not seeing the dynamic of, of the class itself, the working class itself, uh, creating, uh, turning itself into a force that can run society. And I think um, what we're seeing now in the political struggles is, is uh, people organizing and innovating at every level. For example, that young man with the boom box, he knew how to keep those voters in line and you know keep them on task. And uh, he was very creative in organizing it. The, the, you know, the astrophysicist who initiated the science, uh, the day to quit science, he knew how to reach out to his fellow scientists and that cook at Northwestern who lay down on the sidewalk, you know, to, uh, with, and got their fellow workers to do the same thing. They knew how to highlight, they knew how to pick the issue that was important to them and how to involve others and highlight in it, highlight that. So, um, I think that the collectives that people like these bring together, are the ones that are going to govern a socialist society and the um, election struggles are the battlegrounds where our working class is really creating itself. I think that's really well put. I, I appreciate that that good word about voting and the, the bigger picture um, of electoralism than I think we sometimes get on the left. That's really helpful. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your reporting and your work and your uh, perspective on um, this, this crazy electoral yeah. season. I think that's uh, really helpful. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Page. If you like what you heard, follow People's World on social media and consider making a financial contribution at peoplesworld.org. And remember, we take sides, yours.